nea. Tēnā tātou katoa, e hui mai nei i tēnei ata. Greetings to all of you who have gathered here this morning. Before we get underway with the web conference, I'll start with a karakia. Unuhia te tō, pō whirimārama. Tomakia te ao, te ao, whakitangata. Tātai ki runga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahorau. Umie, umie, I'm Andrew, the Learns Field Trip teacher, and this is our second web conference for Waste Not Wasted, the Science of Waste at Cape Valley Land. But with me this morning, and joining you to answer your questions is Rangi Lord, who is the uh, Regional Manager for Canterbury Waste Services. You guys are with us at the um, offices here at Cape Valley Landfill, and if you have a look on one of the screens here, you'll see that Shelley, the field trip teacher, is just doing a bit of a pan over the landfill at the moment. So the office overlooks the landfill. And there you can see she's walking along now. It's a little bit hard to see, but you can kind of get the idea. Cape Valley literally is a big valley, which is, um, which is a nice shape for um, you putting waste into. So welcome to all of you who have joined us here this morning. It's great to have you with us here. It's certainly a lot cooler than it was yesterday. We're not even going to reach 20 degrees today, so it's quite different. Might even get a few spots of rain and it's cloudy. You can see on uh, the camera there, quite, quite cloudy. Um, so great that you can all join us and welcome to our listing schools, uh, our listing schools and our speaking schools. So this morning we've got Leperton School and uh, Morrinsville School. So this is our speaking formal part of the web conference. And then later, if we've got time, we will be able to take some more questions from you via the chat pod. Um, but for now, we will begin with our questions. Oh, I forgot to introduce our friends, of course. We've got Ambassador Eddie, the uh, Learns Field Trip Ambassador. Uh, this is Creeps from Upper Harbour School. And we've got um, Ivan from Oteha Valley School, having a really cool time. We've got Rupert Larudu from uh, Waitakere Primary School. And Snowball from Tawa School. Now, interestingly, Snowball is made from uh, recycled materials. And I think it's a a toilet roll or like a, a, a um, paper towel roll inside and you can't see it but all the students from the class have signed the inside of Snowball's backbone. backbone. <laughs> he's got little buttons for eyes and that so he's really cool and I think he's completely biodegradable. <laughs> so hey let's get underway with our questions from our speaking schools this morning. So what we'll do is we'll start with Leperton School, then we'll go to Morrinsville School for the first questions from each of those schools and then back to Leperton for number two and so on and so forth. So, and just to remind you guys, if you can introduce yourself with your first name so we know who it is that we're speaking with and nice and close to the laptop or microphone or whatever you're using. So let's get underway with question number one from Leperton School, please. Kia ora, my name is Chase and my question is, what is the dirt like underneath the rubbish at the landfill? Uh, morning Chase, 
Look, uh, Cape Valley, uh, the geology or the soil, the dirt type around this area is really um, very suitable for this sort of uh, uh, facility, a landfill. The soil is very impermeable, so it's all siltstone that was heaved up out of the ocean thousands and thousands of years ago. Uh, so it's a, a very fine siltstone. Um, I'm just reading my notes here. Um, so in the normal course of events, and we said this yesterday during one of the sessions, um, this material by itself, uh, liquid that might escape from the landfill, if it doesn't, um, would take hundreds of years to actually move even just a few metres through the soil. However, we here at Cape Valley have also put plastic liner on top of the soil, so nothing even gets to the um, surface of the soil beneath the landfill. Thanks, Chase. Uh, I don't think we've ever had a question from about the soil underneath the landfill, mm. so that was uh, really interesting to hear about that. So siltstone. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sedimentary rock. If you look up the different types of rock, uh, sedimentary is one that uh, basically it's, it's soil that's been deposited beneath the sea mm. originally. Mm. <clears throat> hey, thanks, Chase, for getting us underway with your first question. And um, we'll move to Morrinsville School now for your first question. Um, my name is Ella. Hi, Ella. My, and my question is, what is the layer separating the rubbish from the ground made of? Hi, Ella. Um, we have a three-layer um, synthetic liner system uh, on top of the soil we just talked about a minute ago. Um, it's two layers of HDPE, which is high-density polyethylene. It's, it's a, a, a plastic. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Andrew's going to grab the samples behind us. Oh, yeah, there's some down there, Andrew, the larger bits. Um, plus a, another material called geosynthetic clay liner. Um, now, these are all um, man-made products, but they effectively create a, a seal beneath the landfill. So this is the top layer, it's a, it's a really thick HDPE, it's also coloured white on the top and black on the back, so we put it down with the white surface up. Um, HDPE is very similar to the black polythene uh, you see often in gardens, like your mum and dad might use it around the garden from time to time, but this is much thicker. Uh, so it's a, a plastic product that will last for a long, long time. Um, if you like, this is one of the good plastics uh, out there. This is something that will stay in the landfill, obviously, beneath the landfill forever. This is the GCL that I mentioned before, and we have a, a black sheet that goes beneath as well. So we have these three layers, if you like, uh, and we'll talk about those a little bit later on, and I believe Barry's going to be sending out some samples as well. Already done, went yesterday. Thanks. Good. Yeah, so you'll be able to get a your own sample of um, what the line is made of and there's a video online today where we talk with uh, Calvin and Calvin talks more about um, the, the landfill liner so make sure you check that out. There's a picture of that video just behind Barry actually with me and Calvin sitting on part of the actual liner. Hey thanks Ella, good question, really uh, big key feature of Cape Valley Landfill is the landfill liner. So uh, question number two um, from Leopardton School, please. Hi, my name is Carter and my question is, how does the rubbish at the landfill affect the natural environment around the landfill? 
Hi, Carter. Um, look, it, it doesn't really affect the environment very much. Um, we occasionally get, occasionally get smells like odour from the rubbish. We all know what rubbish smells like getting away. Um, occasionally the odour from the gas as well. But um, as we have explained in other sessions, we cover the rubbish every day with soil. So we put about 150 millimetres of soil on top of the rubbish. That tends to keep the odours down. Um, occasionally we'll get a little bit of litter flying, um, for example, when it gets windy. We, however, um, if it gets too windy, we actually quickly close the lamp up and cover the rubbish so we don't get litter flying around. Um, that litter that does escape, we have to go out and pick it up. So we um, hire people to come and pick up the litter and we put it back in the landfill as well. Um, other things like leachate, and we'll talk, talk about that shortly, are well contained. So uh, overall, we have very little effect on the environment around us. Yeah, no, good question. Um, but it's always reassuring to know that the landfill is here to contain rubbish and anything that goes in there stays there and doesn't seep out into the surrounding environment to cause any harm. Okay, Morinsville School, question two from you, please. Hi, my name is Bianca. And um, what can be done if water near a landfill gets leachated? Kia ora, Bianca. Um, look, it's really unlikely that that should ever happen, but we have uh, monitoring instruments all around the landfill. Um, we call it our SCADA system. And that, those monitoring instruments send us texts as soon as anything might escape. I'm pleased to say that we've never had it happen. Um, uh, however, we, we do have those systems that will help us if anything did escape. Um, we also have the ability to close off all of the waterways. Like we have two dams um, beneath the landfill, uh, downstream of the landfill rather, uh, and we were able to close valves and actually capture all and, and hold that water if it did get contaminated. So um, we're monitoring and we're able to shut that water off. We also do take samples of the water fairly regularly and those samples go off to laboratories for um, testing. And again, if there were any unusual results there, we would close all the valves and do further investigations. And if necessary, we would pump the water back towards the landfill and treat it. But uh, to date, we've had no issues with that, the water getting out of the, or leachate at least, getting out into waterways. Good stuff. Thanks, Bianca. Um, another good question. So we're on to question three from Leperton School now. Hi, I'm Myra, and my question is, how do you bury the rubbish, and how bad is the chemicals for the soil? Yeah, good questions. Um, Basically, we've talked about the rubbish comes in on the big bins and trucks and we spread it out each day and we compact it. We've also talked about the liner beneath the landfill. So first thing I would say is that the chemicals never get into the soils beneath the landfill. Um, I'd be in big trouble if it did. So it does, that doesn't happen. Um, and we are monitoring, as I just um, I mentioned a minute ago. Um, so we cover the rubbish every day with about 150 millimetres of soil, as I mentioned earlier on. Um, and we use our big dump trucks. We have big, um, big, big trucks that haul the soil in from around our site. And then towards the end of the day, we use the bulldozers to spread it over the top. Um, so the soils beneath the landfill are, are still as they were originally. There is no contamination. 
And then once you've finished uh, Rangi with, um, with that part of the landfill, then there's a final cover that's put over that's quite deep too. That's right. At the end of, um, once the landfill is, is getting close to being full, we put a, what we call the final cap on top, and that's anything up to two metres thick. So that's taller than, thicker than all of us. Very fine-grained soil, so the rain can't get in and the gas can't get out. The odours can't get out. Uh, and then we usually put grass on top of that and fences and sheep. So turn it back into a farm. Thanks, Myra. And moving, moving back to Moronsville School for question number three from you. Hi, my name is Jaya and my question is, why was plastic made and what will happen to all the plastic in 100 years? Well, those are pretty big questions. Um, look, I, I can only give you my views on why plastic was made. And I, I think what it comes down to was um, they discovered these products that they could make out of, um, mostly it's out of hydrocarbon, I think, you know, oil and came out from the oil industry. Um, and they were very helpful. Plastics are really helpful for us in our day-to-day -day lives. I guess what has happened since then, and we've seen that in the last few years, it's not very good, or some plastics are not at all very good for the environment. Um, in a hundred years, I imagine there will still be some plastics around. The plastic that is in the landfill will never go anywhere else again. So I guess I'm pleased to say that whatever gets buried here is not going to end up in the oceans and, and getting eaten by birds and other animals. Um, but I think altogether we need to stop producing plastics. Some plastics are really good, you know, they're, they're very handy. Um, and back in the day when they first invented them and we started using them, uh, we just didn't realise what the consequences were going to be long term. Um, but plastics in the landfill are safe, never going to get out again. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a movement towards the reduction of single-use plastic bags, for instance. So supermarkets now, although there's still some plastic bags in the fruit section and whatnot, um, so that's a start. But there's still a lot of packaging where we're getting products and then we're just immediately throwing out the packaging. You know, some of those plastics that, well, that we're sitting on, for example, mm -hmm. where we're going to last a lot longer, have, have a, a longer life than, than the packaging. I would suspect, in my, in my view, that, that packaging um, will be the first sort of thing that might disappear. And there are moves afoot like that. They have uh, what they call packaging accords. A lot of um, manufacturers uh, are actually closely looking at how much plastic they really do need to, to use around their product. Well, just a good example was uh, Shelley, Shelley, the field trip teacher, did a field trip to the Hawke's Bay this year. And we went and visited a company that makes rocket apples. And rocket apples come in a cylinder and there's about five or six Tiny little apples, mini apples, nice, this good size for your lunchbox. And they were, even just, just a few months ago, they came in a, a plastic mm. cylinder. And we got some the other day from the supermarket and they came in a, in a, in a box, a, a cardboard box. Yeah, and cardboard's better than plastic because it yeah. decomposes, it's organic. Mm. So that, was, a, that um, was nice to see. Supermarkets need to go back to paper bags. <laughs> yeah. All right, lots of good discussion though to be had around that, guys. So um, keep it up. Question number four from Leopardon School. 
Um, my name's Ollie, and how do you stop the rubbish contaminating the water table below the landfill? Hi, Ollie. Um, it follows on from some of the questions earlier on. We, we actually have uh, the liner system that I just talked about. So um, I'm 99.9% .9 sure nothing is ever actually going to get out and contaminate the soils below the landfill. Um, to be sure we don't do this, of course, we are doing um, ground water monitoring. And we did a video session on that yesterday. I think it'll be online today. Yep, it's on now. And we talk about how we measure the water quality around the outside of the landfill. We started before we opened the landfill and we continue to do those measurements every three months. And the samples are sent away to laboratories for testing. That, that will tell us if anything's actually getting into the ground. Uh, had no indication of any of that sort of thing so far, and I don't think we ever will. So, you know, the, um, the liner beneath the landfill stops all contaminants getting into the soil. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks, Ollie. And Morrinsville School, question four from you, please. Hi, my name's Natalia, and this is my question. How is there enough money to pay for the technology at Cape Valley? It's a really good question, that one, because, uh, and it's one I don't think we've ever had asked before. So basically, landfills and, and waste disposal in all of our cities and our councils is one of the essential services, we call it, that um, the government and the councils have to provide to, to the public. So, you know, your rubbish has got to go somewhere. We can't leave it in the streets. So what happens generally is the councils charge the users, the ratepayers, um, a fee to dispose of the rubbish. Part of that fee goes to us and, and it is used to cover the cost of all the machinery, the cost of the liner, the cost of excavation, of creating the landfill. Um, so ultimately the public, or we who, who make the rubbish, pay for um, everything that goes on in the landfill. We also set aside a few cents. So we, we charge um, by the tonne. So every tonne of rubbish that comes into the landfill, we um, charge the councils or the people that send it here. So a few cents of all of those tonnes uh, that we charge for actually get set aside also, this is worth noting, for the aftercare. I'll talk about that a little later as well. So later on, um, after the landfill closes, we still have to keep maintaining the landfill. The gas will still keep coming. The leachate will still be there for 20 to 40 years after the landfill closes. So we also set aside um, money to be able to cover all of those costs as well. So basically it comes back to the people who make the rubbish end up paying for it. Okay, now that's a good question, Natalia. Thank you very much. And our final question from Leperton School, please. Hi, my name's Cody, and how do you stop the rubbish blowing away from the landfill? Hi. Um, if it gets really windy, uh, I mentioned it before, we close the landfill quickly. Um, when that happens, we send a message out via um, email uh, to all of the people that are bringing waste to the landfill, all the trucks and the companies that are sending the waste here, to say that we are closed for the day. Um, we can take a little bit more waste if there are empty bins on site. Remember, our, our waste at Cape Valley is all containerized. So as long as we have empty containers here, the trucks can keep bringing full ones in because they take the empties away. 
Uh, we notify all of the councils and all the transport companies if we have to close because of wind. Um, we also have wind uh, and litter fences around the landfill face. Those fences are designed to catch that first bit of rubbish that blows away when, when the wind comes up. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier as well, we hire people to come in and pick up that litter and we put it back into the landfill. So it's not good, but we, um, we manage it well. We will cover up and stop placing the waste if it gets too windy. Mm. So how windy does it need to be until you, before you close it down? Right, uh, we have in our, our, our SCADA, our monitoring system, uh, wind anemometers they call them, and wind speed uh, instruments, and at 10 meters per second. So when the wind gets above 10 meters per second in speed, uh, it sends an alert to our phones. We generally know before it gets to 10 metres per second, though, from experience, it's getting windy. We start covering up straight away. The machine operators know when it's getting to that point and we have generally already started putting dirt over the top. You guys could work out how many kilometres per hour that is, 10 metres per second. Um, good stuff, Cody, and good to see you thinking about um, all of you guys, actually. A lot of these questions thinking about the, the surrounding environment so um and that's obviously something that the neighbors around here would uh, can you know are, are interested in because obviously before a landfall gets um put into a place you know there's there's discussion and that sort of thing about you know oh, how affected are we going to be so um the, it's really good to see that there's all those things are put in place to make sure that um, that there's no effect outside the landfill. So final question from Orangeville School now. Hi, my name is Holly and my question is how much research has been conducted into landfills and their impact? Hi there. Um, Every two to three years, the owners of Cape Valley, uh, which are the councils and, and our company, um, and they're called Transwaste Canterbury, they actually um, get engineers to go and look at all the best practice around the world, whatever new developments there are about landfill operations and designs, and they bring that back to Transwaste. And we're always adopting or taking on all the new technologies that might be coming um, in relation to landfill disposal. So look, I, I'm very comfortable in saying that Cape Valley is one of the most modern facilities in the world. We're always using best practices as a term. Um, you know, so we're doing everything as well as we can do and we're always willing to learn uh, from others and other research that's going on. Uh, even before Cape Valley opened, um, uh, we did a lot of research around the world about the best way to operate this landfill facility in Canterbury. Uh, and we developed all of our systems based on that information that we learned around the world. Uh, and we continue to do so. And a lot of those developments have come from, I guess, learning from past mistakes about how rubbish was dis or waste was disposed of. That's dead right. And, um, you know, uh, your parents and um, some of us that were around 40 or 50 years ago will remember the old dumps that we used to have around New Zealand and um, they weren't pretty sites. Uh, modern landfills and our modern environmental standards and requirements mean that we manage these things a heck of a lot better now. We, we make sure that um, 
we look after the environment. So in a moment, there'll be an opportunity for all of you guys and listening schools to post any extra questions you might have this morning in the chat pod, which is a function that you can click on a little speech bubble just down below uh, the screen in the Zoom platform here. But um, for now, let's thank our speaking schools, uh, Morrinsville School and Leperton School for your questions this morning and to Rangi for his time answering them for you. You guys did a really good job and I uh, hope, hope you've learned a lot from getting answers to your questions this morning. So we will, so this is the end of the formal part of the web conference. At the end, we'll do a big roundup, say a big goodbye. Um, but if you have to go now, that's fine. So just, just you know, close uh, the Zoom platform and head on and do whatever else you need to do today. That's fine. But if you do want to stick around, stick around and post some extra questions uh, in that chat pod and we'll answer them for you now. So, um, yeah, just thanks again for our speaking school questions. And if you do need to go, remember to check out the diary that I've written from yesterday and have a look at the images and the new videos that are on the website. And also this web conference will be recorded so you can uh, listen to it later if you need to. So I'm just having a look down here and um, I can oh, see that there's a question. There's two. There's yes. one, one from me <laughs> that follows on from the, what we're talking about Oh, yeah, before. okay. So oh, I can okay. read it out. Yeah, so that's fine. Um, this is about closed landfills, Barry. Yeah. Only, to what extent do you think old landfills pose a risk, a, a greater risk to the environment than modern engineered landfills like Cape Valley? And can anything yeah. be done to improve old landfills that have been closed down? Yes, and this has been in the news of late, of course, with the um, blowout of that landfill down at French Joseph on the west coast. Um, look, there are lots and lots of old dumps uh, and landfills. You couldn't really call them landfills, the old ones. Um, around the countryside. Um, I know that in coastal regions we're seeing in the news that um, this is becoming a real, a really big concern because these things are getting eroded by the sea. Uh, I guess one thing I, I could say is that we always need to bear in mind that the, the leaching and the gas generally uh, runs out in these facilities within sort of 20 to 30 years after they've closed. So the risk of gas and leachate is pretty much gone for old, for old landfills. There will be the odd exception in, in landfills that have perhaps had some significantly more hazardous waste placed in them that might take longer to, to degrade. Uh, the worst uh, um, effect, if you like, is the horrible paper, plastics and all tin cans and everything floating around in the environment ending up in the sea. Um, I think there's going to be a big focus on this and they'll end up um, probably digging out and making more secure some of those landfills that are at greater risk. Uh, I don't think they all need to be worried about. Um, some of them are quite secure where they might be, but those near waterways, the sea and rivers, definitely they're going to have to do something about. Yeah, well, you know, there's an old rubbish dump um, down the river that goes past our place. And I was just having a, a look around the area and found all this 
rubbish under under the mm. undergrowth, basically, and it goes right basically to the edge of the river and there's all sorts of things there mm -hmm. you know ties and there could be, I don't know what else might be there and then I ended up speaking to a woman on the airplane when I was flying home from a field trip once and I happened to mention this and she said oh yeah I remember going down there with my dad when I was little and taking our rubbish to the dump there so I'd actually like to do some investigation and see just how potentially hazardous this could be to the environment and and then maybe talk to the council about what could be done because if there's you know i i catch fish out of that river yeah a lot of the hazardous materials like i say leachate and that are long gone mm -hmm. uh, because they were so old are still not a, a great thing unfortunately a lot of dumps were were in old stream beds and quarries you know that was easy and convenient for people to dump rubbish and we didn't know the consequences back then um so they're, they're quite common we've had quite a lot of old landfill rubbish come up here old dump rubbish including from just down the road here in our, our region, um, another little dump that was beside the river. How, so this is from Tutavake from Tawa School. How is leachate created? Does it come naturally or just from rubbish? Oh, very, very clever question. Um, so leachate uh, is basically one of the byproducts of organic material, the likes of grass and timber and papers decomposing. Uh, it also creates a gas, remember, and we, we take that gas off to generate electricity. So leachate's a, a sort of a biological process, um, very common. Um, I think I've already talked about it a few times in these courses. If you get the grass clippings in the lawn, dad mows the lawn, puts the grass clippings over in oh, the mum. corner, all mum, yeah, look at mum. And you go back two or three days later, days later, and dig and, and dig up the grass clippings. You'll find leachate underneath. It's that brown, slimy stuff beneath. It's a natural product, but it's um, it's concentrated. And look, we have to treat it and um, make sure that it's not going to cause any harm to the environment here at Lampel. But it is natural. Uh, we also get rainfall that contributes to our leachate. Um, so we're monitoring that all the time and we're making sure it doesn't get into the environment. But it happens everywhere. So Holly from Orangeville School, did you have the ability, ability to make Cape Valley earlier or did the technology only become available recently? Hi Holly. Um, I guess, and I can only speak for this uh, landfill in Canterbury, Cape Valley, what finally brought the construction, the building of Cape Valley to a head was the fact that the local councils, and there were five or six of them around the Canterbury region, were looking to build their own little landfills for each of the different councils, and Christchurch City would have had a big one, although Christchurch City's landfill was filling up, and they decided that we should um, combine efforts and build one facility so that all the waste just goes to one location rather than having five or six separate little landfills around the countryside. Um, so this is the case more and more these days. I think you're right, as technology has become um, better known, uh, the economics too. So, you know, some of this comes down to economics. By having one landfill, we have one set of machinery, all the big bulldozers and, and trucks and things. If we had five or six of them, they all have to have that same equipment as well. So 
you save money by only having one set of um, machinery, if you like, and one set of people that operate the landfill. So economics, um, technology, all of those things come into it, but a very good question. So, you know, I, I always feel that, you know, this is the best solution, or one of the best solutions for waste. Um, it, it's, it's contained, it's not having an effect on the environment, it's got to go somewhere. But so I live in a smaller town in Kirikiri in the far north. Um, where's that waste going? Like, where's the waste going from the smaller regions? I mean, is, have I, can I sort of sleep better at night knowing that my rubbish, my waste is going somewhere that's as good a facility as this? Yeah, look, I, I'm not 100% sure about Kirikiri, but my feeling is it probably goes to Whangarau. There's a decent landfill there. Okay. And uh, what you're saying, Andrew, is exactly right. You'll find more and more of the smaller communities around the countryside, their waste is all collected at a little transfer station, a drop-off place where mum and dad drop the rubbish or the curbside trucks pick it up. And it ultimately ends up at a transfer station and then is trucked to the nearest uh, modern landfill. Mm. Uh, there are a few, very few um, of the old dumps still around uh, and they're slowly being phased out and, and the waste... Um, going to the larger landfills. We've got one of the councils here in Canterbury, one of the others that weren't initially involved, currently talking about sending their rubbish to Cape Valley, in fact. Right. Well, it looks like we've got all the questions from this morning for our I've got, I've got one more. Okay. So just having one facility means that um, all the trucks have to travel further because they're going to one central place. So there's an increase in transport cost. So do you um, reduce the effect of this to things like recycling and the fact that you compact the rubbish so that you can transport more in one go? Does that help offset that? Yes, absolutely, Barry. Um, we, uh, as you know, have the containerized system here. So we're, we're running those trucks with the maximum payload that we're allowed to on the road all the time. We're also regularly updating our trucks to the latest um, standard engines. So they're clean and green, if you like. They're, they're much more efficient, less uh, carbon emissions. Uh, ultimately, I, I, I'd go so far as to say is we'll be running electric trucks here probably within the next five, five years. I, I'm sure we will be trialing. Um, uh, I know that when I attend our board meetings, um, the directors are talking about alternative ways of transport. Uh, so yes, definitely, we're always looking to improve those things and, and recycling and, and those sorts of initiatives also reduce the rubbish that has to be gone all the way to Cape Valley. So Rangi is talking about compacting, so it's squishing, squishing the rubbish, making it smaller, if you like. And uh, it was interesting yesterday because we're out on the landfill watching these trucks come in with, with the containers of rubbish and then they tip, tip the rubbish out, and this container was right up at this, and the rubbish wasn't coming out because it had been compacted so tightly into the container, mm -hmm. it wouldn't come out. So they had to get the, um, the digger to put its um, scooper into bucket. the bucket in and scoop some of the rubbish out, get it moving. Yeah, so it was really cool. Okay, so look, I think that's the end of our questions this morning. It's been wonderful to have you stick around and join us for the whole web conference. So we've got our final web conference tomorrow morning at 9.15, so you can join us for that. 
And just a reminder again, check out the videos from yesterday, have a read of my diary and look at the images. And you can even see what these guys have been getting up to as well. Barry will now unmute you all to say a big kaki te ano. That brings our web conference to an end. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. All right, thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.